What's up, guys? Welcome back to the West Vi Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Disruptive Adventism. Disruptive Adventism is a platform that encourages people to contribute to the changing of the fabric of Adventism through conversation, collaboration, and content creation. If you want to join in, head over to disruptiveadventism.org. I want to appeal to an immature Christian. I want to appeal to somebody who has immature faith response. Because like I say, if they have a mature faith response, chances are they're already engaged, they're already in a church. So I will do things to appeal to a junior high kid who's got an immature faith response. Have you ever just walked into a church and like as soon as you walk in the door, like you just immediately know like this place is different. Summit Northwest Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho is a church like that. When I walked in there for the first time, like you pull up and you realize this used to be a movie theater. And as you walk in and you see just the amazing job they've done of remodeling it and just the the welcoming environment that they've created and then you walk into their sanctuary and it it's just done so nicely and and the people are amazing and and just the whole environment uh, that they have created in their space is absolutely incredible. And so being able to attend this church a few times while we were living in Idaho, um, I asked the pastor, uh, Ron Hessel, if he would sit down with me and, and just talk about ministry with me. And this, this conversation actually came at a time where I had just accepted a call to pastoral ministry and I uh, was getting ready to move uh, to Oklahoma just a little bit after we had this conversation. And so this conversation actually took the form of more of a mentoring conversation. And and I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity, not just with Ron, but there were several pastors and in the North Idaho area that I was able to sit down with and have conversations with about how to begin ministry well from a practical standpoint. And I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity. I'm so grateful that I was able to capture this conversation with Ron and get to share it with you. You know, we actually, I ended up cutting like half an hour out of our conversation because it, it, it started out about like m- most good mentoring conversations go where we were just chasing rabbits and, and talking. And so it was really hard to kind of get the context and I didn't feel like it would land uh, for the episode. And so I had to cut uh, quite a bit to get to a point where I felt like, okay, there's some continuity to the conversation now and, uh, and we can track with it. And uh, there's still a lot of great stuff in this conversation. And uh, man, I'm just, I'm super thrilled to get to revisit this conversation now. Sometimes I feel like I want to just like record all my conversations because you just miss so much. You don't realize how much you miss in the conversations you have until you get to go back and re-listen to conversations. And then you realize, man, I miss so much. Um, And maybe that's just my ADHD. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I, maybe you don't have this problem, but I'm really grateful for these conversations that I've been able to record and get to revisit them, and uh, and it's been a huge blessing. It makes me want to record them all, but uh, that would be a little weird, I think. So, with that, we're going to get into it, man. This is uh, a fun conversation about ministry, about the life of the church, and uh, I hope you get a lot out of it. We'll talk to you on the other side. Not in one of the theology classes that I that I took did I ever take a class on human development. And teaching, you just, you know, here's child development, adolescent development. How do kids grow? How do, how do, what are they capable of thinking at this stage in life? What are they capable of thinking at this stage of life? We kind of tend to treat a 
kids as just short adults, and, and they're not. They're so different. And so when we preach to kids, we many times are just um, scarring them and, uh, or else boring them to tears. My time in education, what, what, the pivotal thing that got me from education into being pastoring, I would ask students, because I was teaching Bible, elementary and high school, and I would ask, why don't more kids want to accept Jesus into their life? Why don't more kids want to be in heaven? If heaven is so great, if Jesus is so great, grace is so great, if love is so great, why aren't more kids interested in that? Number one answer, church is boring. Hmm. I said, what difference does that make? And they said, why would we want to spend eternity if it's going to be in a place, if it's going to be like church? Number two answer, Sabbath is boring. Same thing. Why would we want to spend eternity in a place that's as boring as Sabbath at my house and as boring as Sabbath at my church? Hmm. Absolutely broke my heart. Mm -hmm. Because here we are, and as... Any church, particularly the Adventist church, we've spent so much in Sabbath school and investing in kids and, and, and our educational system to get kids to have a relationship with Jesus. And we turn them off by doing church in a boring way. Mm. And that just broke my heart. And I said, so that, that part of it edu from education really is what defines me as a, as a pastor. I cannot, I mean, I preach boring sermons, but I try really hard not to. Mm -hmm. I've got a five, fifth grade kid in mind every time I preach a sermon. Is mm -hmm. there something in there that will get that fifth grade kid's attention? What and, about, like, with that in mind, like looking at, you know, when, when you apply that then to like young adults or even adult adults, right? Mm -hmm. That grew up with that mindset. And then like, it almost seems like you have to go back and like retread that ground because of that, that development where it's like, okay, this is boring. This is not something I want. This isn't connecting with me. This isn't making sense. And then now they're around for whatever reason, but then you're actually fighting against that piece that they were indoctrinated into as kids like this isn't you know like, it's not spiritual it's yeah it's not spiritual that's a good way to put it like this yeah. is something i have to do because i'm afraid to go to hell right? right because you know if i don't go to church on sabbath i'm probably going to go to hell even though right. it doesn't burn forever i'm still going to go there exactly but like i you know i've been thinking you know looking at just like you know people my age yeah and kind of their relationship to church is yeah i'll go Sometimes maybe I won't. I'd rather stay at home. I wrestle with that sometimes, even even though we have really great options here. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's just I'd rather just stay at home. Yeah, than, absolutely. Than I have a friend right now that um, you know told me the other day, he's like, I, I'm just not going to church anymore. You know, yeah. it's like I go there and I and, Why and he's in they? recovery too. Yeah. So he has this this recovery world that he's in where. Sure. You cry together, you live together, you do life together, everything's raw, everything's real, and and you know, you're supporting one another and it's just real community and, and yeah. support and then he goes to church and it's plastic. Yeah. It's not yeah. there. Yeah. I've yeah. been I've been thinking that like there needs to be some work done to to just create community. Like the the church should be that. Just just a place of community. 
and then the rest of it. And I think that's where Adventism gets kind of out of whack is that we get so focused on we have to turn you into an Adventist. We have to indoctrinate right. you because if you don't believe everything right, then you're a danger to the herd. Right. And so we have to, you know, we have to vaccinate you against worldliness before right. we can let you be part of um, yeah. our community. Yeah. And then no, it just that's, that's accurate. That's and and it's sad, and it's sad. There is a there is such a fine balance on the whole thing. I, I have some of my colleagues who like you know say the same words that you did on you know we've got to have the sense of community and we've got to get everybody involved in a spiritual in a in a raw group or in a, in a life group or and in, in have this real intense experience and such. And yes. We need to be able to provide for that better than we do, but we also need to provide for a place for people to just come in and be anonymous mm. and not not have that experience because they don't trust you to have that experience yet. Mm. They've got to be able to be there and just marinate. Or There's a gal that attends, and I keep forgetting her name. She will slip in after the music and she will be out i see her when i'm preaching and then she's gone she does not want anybody talking to her Mm -hmm. and we have to be able to provide and respect that she wants to come in she's getting something out of whatever's there and then she leaves Mm. shallow response maybe so but most of the newcomers that we look at probably have a shallow response I mean, if they were mature Christians, they'd probably already be in church, right? So we got to provide for both of that. And that's where small groups really is the answer. Adventists suck at small groups. Mm -hmm. Well, we have Sabbath school. (laughs) And it is better (laughs) than a lot of places, yeah. Yeah. But that's our answer to... Right. Yeah. You try to You try to talk to people about doing something that's maybe not a Bible study. Right. And then it's like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, we need to be spiritually inclined. It's like, well, life should be spiritual, but if we're not spiritual people doing life, then we're not going to make that connection, you know. That's an interesting point. I'd never thought about that, though, that we need to allow for anonymity because, you know, everything is so driven at connection, 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 and, and then really... Our application for, I shouldn't say our, but in my mind, how I think of application, the way it's talked about so often when you talk about applying these principles to create a greater sense of community, is still basically that same idea of come do it on our terms. This is how we want right. to do it. We want to have you in a small group. We want to have you this, 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 and this. And it doesn't allow for that individual to really come in and build the willingness to engage. Yeah, so yeah. I had never really thought of that before. Yeah. I I want I want to appeal to an immature Christian. I want to appeal to somebody who has immature faith response. Because like I say, if they have a mature faith response, chances are they're already engaged, they're already in a church or whatever. So I will do things to appeal to a junior high kid who's got an immature faith response. I had my uh, grandson I had told me, I says, he's into Minecraft. He was 10, 11 years old at the time. I said, I want you to Minecraft. I want you to make a church with Minecraft. And um, 
video it while you're doing it save save whatever you're doing and then compress it down to like five minutes and fortunately my son-in-law's father is video professor at at Walwell University so he had the capability to do it. so he did this he did this Minecraft church that he built took him 35 40 minutes whatever compress it down to five minutes we did communion one time and I said okay all of you my age, what you're going to see on the screen is just going to drive you nuts. But if you're in junior high, you're going to love this. So we had this Minecraft thing. It's just going, and the box is going here. And, and I could see people my age are just going. And it was all done. Here was this church, and you had the light on it, and kind of did this view around the whole church. And we did communion. I just had it go in the background. Junior high kid comes up to me and says, that was the coolest communion I ever did. <laughs> you know? 11-year-old mm-hmm. kid was touched by something that drove the rest of us batty. Mm-hmm. I think we baptized that kid. How do you balance that in, in, as you're building your culture, as you're working with your leadership team, as you're dealing with your members? Um, how what What types of steps do you take to to build that kind of culture in that, that, that is valid. That's important ministry that's happening there, that it's important that we do things that will connect with people, even if it doesn't make a lick of sense to us. Yeah, that's, that's a $64 million question right there. It is easier to create the culture from a blank slate, which never exist than to change a church but um and and it's just it's constant repetition i tell the story of what broke my heart with the student who'd say why would i want to spend eternity if church is boring i i tell that every chance i get to our sab school leaders to our teachers leadership team and I'll tell people, you've heard me tell this before, and you're going to hear it again, because this is what drives me. This is the vision. This is the crux. So I just, that, I, I just keep drumming at home. And then I share my testimony with Jesus. To me, having Jesus Christ in my life is the most fun and liberating and enjoyable thing, and that's what I want to share. I enjoy God. I have fun with God. I can joke with God. We are so afraid of God in the Adventist church, and most churches, not just the Adventist church. We are so afraid of God that we're afraid to have fun with Him. Now, just think about that, how sick that is for a moment. I was actually in in two churches in southern Idaho. Um, I was... um, one my sermon one the church board told me my sermons were were too uh, too short the other one complained because i used too much humor in my sermon imagine for a moment that you are there and there's a group of people who called your friends and you see them laughing and joking and as soon as you walk into their presence the laughing stops mm. how do you feel mm-hmm. And let's say that happens again and again and again. Can you ever be friends? Can they be friends with you if you can't share a laugh together? Hmm. I enjoy God. This last week, um, we always pray before we come out, the the participants. And um, Bruce 
Christensen uh, just before prayer. He said to his group, he says, um, I need the music team just to stay by afterwards. So I started my prayer and I said, Lord, sounds like Bruce's team is in trouble. Please pray for him. You know, <laughs> whole place just cracks up. You know, mm -hmm. we went out of there. They were happy as they stepped out onto the platform to, mm -hmm. you know, a few months back, I remember Terry Forster, our, our, our leadership chair, he's always joking around. And, and uh, just as I start my prayer, he, he reaches around, skips head and tickles him on the ear. And I just happen to catch out of the side of my eyes. So I'm just praying, God, please be with Terry and help him keep his hands to himself. You know, mm -hmm. everybody cracked up. And he's like, how did you, what, you, you know, how did you, I says, well, I says, I'm following God's counsel. He's like, says watch and pray you know <laughs> everybody's cracking they're going mm -hmm. out on stage they're having a good time mm -hmm. and why would we want to go to church like you shared your friend you're done with church why it's a, it's boring it's not engaging it's 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 a waste of time i want people to come to church and to have so much fun that they want to be there, whether they agree with me theologically or not. Hmm. We have a we have a fellow that comes on a regular basis who's actually an ordained um, Assembly of God pastor. Uh, we had a, a Baptist former Baptist pastor uh, attending. Others who come and they just you know yeah we enjoy the worship. Don't agree with you on stuff, but it's great to be here. Love the people. Mm -hmm. And so I just I keep drilling over with our people. Just don't be afraid of God. Don't be afraid to laugh with God. I mean, if God is really your friend, be willing to laugh. Be willing to joke with. Include God in your joke. Tell God a joke while you're praying. You know, use. You know, just if if there was a group of us around together, I would kid some with you, kid somebody else. You know, and such. We'd have this ribbing and teasing that would going on, and and that builds camaraderie. In, include Jesus in that. Now that's, I say, it's easier to, easier to build that culture than to change that culture because people are just so offended. Mm -hmm. um, I remember very early on, we were in the outlet malls and didn't really have children's ministries, but they showed this video of this guy, Johnny, somebody or other, and, and it was fast cut. It was really fast. It was quirky. And, and, and one of the, the mother's dear friends, she came up, she says, this is just, just kind of weird it's just you know they're just too much it's basically she's saying it was too much fun and such and, mm -hmm. and it wasn't really my thing but i knew that it was a critical issue for us and i just told her i said you know what look at the kids they're laughing and smiling uh, you know this is awesome for church that's what i want to see mm -hmm. she's like yeah no i get it and so it's just it's just a constant thing to say have fun with God, enjoy God, enjoy being in God's presence. We're so concerned about being right, we forget to be loving and enjoy God. Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm going to stand before the Almighty Judge someday, I'd rather say I was trying to be loving and enjoy being with you than I was trying to be right. You know? Yeah, for years, <clears throat> you know, I have a lot of background in doing like public evangelism the yeah. you know the traditional approach and then you know they came to this point where handbills don't work anymore right we know yeah. this right but we're still going to send handbills and we're still only going to do it that way because that's it's all we know to do that anyone will pay right. for it so there's been this kind of refrain uh amongst those 
who are trying to tread that line of of being traditional in their approach to evangelism, but understanding that it's not working and we need to be different. And they're saying, you have to invite your friends. You have to invite your friends. And and it never made much sense to me because it was kind of like, well, what are we, we're inviting our friends to come be told how wrong they are about things. Like that's not what you do with your friends. Right. And it's just clicked for me in probably the last six months that, that if, if we don't have a space like you're talking about where people just feel comfortable to be there, you know, you can, you kind of expand that out from, yeah, it makes, it's easier to look and say, okay, those kids are enjoying being here. Those kids are not enjoying being here. If they don't enjoy being here, they're not going to be here. Right. But fundamentally that's a human condition. That's not a, right. a that's not a, a child condition. That's, that's all of us. If, if exactly. we don't feel a connection, we're not going to stay there. So exactly. if, if I don't have a relationship with someone and with a group of someone, I'm not going to come sit in their group and let them tell me things that are fundamental to who I am. Right. Most likely that's why we're only getting half a percent off a thousand handbills. Right. You know, we get a 10th of a person, you know, because and a lot of them are, weird. we don't have those relationships. A lot of the weird, the, it's the weird ones. And that yeah, respond. Yeah. And then we got to call them out later. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, or what's worse than that is because we don't have, because we don't have a good discipleship process that happens yeah. after that. What I see a lot of times, because it is those people that are prone to conspiracy and um, kind of extreme interpretation, they come in and then they just keep following that string right onto YouTube, right into, you know, other Adventist ministries that take it a little further and then right out the right out the side door, they just come sliding right through the sanctuary because exactly. they get caught into some, you know, nonsense because all we told them was, you know, watch out for the new world order and the antichrist. And, you know, and we, we never actually said, Hey, here's this guy, his name's Jesus. Um, he's a lot like us, you know, like we're a family. This is community. This is who God is. You know, we love and we care for one another. And so it's all just about this big conspiracy that's there to take over the world. And not that that's not important, right? I mean, that's the, right. the great controversy is still a very important framework for how right. I view the world. But I've just come to realize, like, I know that there's a time for everyone to know that it's not up front. I don't right. think for m- most people, that's not going to be the thing. Exactly. I, you'll get this when, uh, when you're in pastoring, too. Then con- congratulations on that uh, transition for you. I have people come up to me and say, Pastor, I've got family coming in two weeks. Just, you know, what are you going to be preaching about? Hmm. And I realize, I mean, that happens frequently. I realized that people were afraid to bring friends and family to church because they were afraid of what I was going to say. Mm. Right? Just think about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. When that hit me, when I finally figured out, people were af- afraid and didn't want to bring, and I was wondering, why isn't anybody bringing anybody to church? Number one reason? Mm-hmm. Me, I'm Ron. I turn people off because people are... So I made a commitment to my churches and to, to everyone, and I need to... Re- Restate it, although I've stated it to this congregation, uh, particularly when I was hired. I will always assume that your Uncle Carl the Catholic will be in church. Mm-hmm. I will always assume that Aunt Betty the Baptist will be in church. I will also assume that Bubba the Buddhist will be in church, and I will never embarrass you. Mm-hmm. You will never have to. Now, I still get people calling up saying, I've got, but it's happening less and mm-hmm. less. And we have people bringing people to church, we have grown, well, our attendance has quadrupled in the last 
um, 15 years have been here. Our, our membership has quadrupled. Our attendance has um, tripled. Um, and never had evangelistic series. But people are not afraid to bring their families and their friends to church. Now, a number of things. One, you got to make sure it's safe, that they feel safe doing that. We have a, uh, a gentleman whose wife is Buddhist, and she comes frequently. Um, this last week, I think if you were there, talked about Buddhists. But it was never Buddhists are wrong and terrible. It was like, yeah, Buddhists have a difference with, I didn't even compare Buddhists straight out with Christians. It was like, yeah, Buddhists have an issue with Hindus. And here's what it is, factual stuff laid out. Hindus do this. I mean, we just talked about, and Christians do this, do this, you know, the different groups. And we, we treated them all respectfully. We talked about differences, but it was all respectfully. And, and um, yeah. a Buddhist lady comes out. So that's one thing. They've got to be safe. The other thing is they need to know what to expect. Our worship services are pretty much time. They are one hour. Mm -hmm. You come in, and um, there's a countdown. You know within five minutes, here's where things are going to start. There's a video clip. The music is going to be this long. We've got a new announcement. Sermon's going to be this long. You're going to be out in an hour, hour and five at the most, and you're gone. I'm willing to bring a family friend because... I know I'm not going to get them in there and the preacher's going to go 45 minutes this time mm -hmm. and 20 minutes this time. Pick a 45-minute time. If you want to preach for 45 minutes, preach for 45 minutes every single week just mm -hmm. so that they know what it is. Don't do a 20-minute, a 10-minute, a 50, a, a 30, an hour-long sermon. Your congregation will never know what to expect and they will not invite their families. But if they know what to expect and it's engaging... They'll invite their family. If they're bored to death, not a chance in heaven, earth, places, beliefs that, they're, that they'll bring their family because they want to. Their reputation is at stake if they take them to some place that's boring. Like, yeah. Hey, come see this movie. Mm -hmm. It's a real snoozer. Nobody does that, you yeah. know? Hated this movie, bored to death. Oh, this concert. You should go to this concert. The guys just will bore you to tears. We don't want to invite that. I'm excited about it. Come and I know it's safe because it's not going to bad mouth whatever they are, and they're going to start and they're going to stop. Boom. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's more effective than any evangelistic meeting. It's interesting because you know it's just that that change in culture, and it's just again just one of those things we hang on to. Like you know my my home church when I was the head elder there, and we didn't have a pastor, and. I would preach from 30 to 40 minutes. You know, yeah. I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm very extemporaneous, but I just kind of like, I'll get my point across in 30 to 40 minutes. Yeah. Rarely would go over that, if ever. And I tried to make a big deal because we would start whenever we got around to starting. Maybe yeah. it was 11, maybe it was 1120. Yeah. You know, whenever everyone shows up, mm -hmm. you know, we'd get done whenever the preacher shut up, yeah. you know. And... You, if you're up front and you're watching people and you're seeing the people looking at their clock or getting up and leaving in the middle of the sermon and you just realize like that's not how life operates anymore and we may want to have this idea that well it's sabbath and what else are you going to be doing well that's not necessarily the case or that well it's you know the whole day is supposed to be dedicated to god so what does it matter like our life still has a cadence to it and even though sabbath does interrupt that to a point there's still Sure. People have kids. Kids got to eat on a certain schedule. Like, there's reasons Absolutely. why people need consistency and expectation. 
And again, that's a, uh, I'm doing air quotes. That's a mature, <laughs> a mature response to say, no matter what a Sabbath, I'm dedicating my life to listen to God. That's a yeah. mature response. I want to appeal to the immature response mm. because mm. the mature guy is going to be there regardless. Right. The immature response is who I'm after. So yeah, I had mm. churches like that that they didn't care when they started. And so I watched the clock. And I would I, I, I just knew I had to be flexible on it. Mm -hmm. Noon came, I stopped. Mm -hmm. Because um, people need to get out exactly what you said. And they're like, your sermons are too short. We'll leave me more time. But mm -hmm. we're stopping at noon. <laughs> you know, that's what it yeah. is. So now where we're at, I, I take my sermons and I will write, when I write them out, I have a half inch margins. Two pages, 11-point aerial, and I fill up these eight panels, and I know I've got 22 to 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I can spread over a little bit into the next uh, panel, um, but when it's all done, it's printed out in either 12 and a half. Sometimes I'll get away with 13-point, but usually 12-point, because my eyesight's getting worse now. I'll expand it so that I've got six pages that goes in my Bible, and I know... I know what it is. That's my timing right there. I know how many words it is. It's 3,000, 3,500 words. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I will be consistent. Yeah. A sitcom, 22 minutes. Yeah, every time. And I don't know which ones you like to watch. I like to watch things. Modern Family, a mm -hmm. few weeks back, months back maybe. 22 and a half minutes, and I got to the end. Seven distinct stories in 22 and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And very few of them actually overlapped on that one. I was like, that is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Seven distinct stories in 22 and a half minutes. And we can't land a sermon plane in 30, mm -hmm. 40 minutes. I mean, come on. Yeah. But you gotta, you've got to plan it. You've got to be. And so my sermons, I have it written down. I know exactly when it's going to stop and where it's going to stop, I'm not fishing for the end. Because again, it is so frustrating for people. You sit there and you listen to the preachers like, he's coming. No, no, he's not coming. He's coming. No, he's not coming. And, and you just wonder, when is he going to land the plane? Mm -hmm. And again, that comes back to be consistent. People will invite if they know what they're inviting to. If they don't, you know, they're not going to invite somebody there to a preacher who doesn't know how to land a plane after mm -hmm. four attempts. You know? Yeah, so. yeah, that's a good point. My wife hates it. My wife's pet peeve is, all right, so we're going to wrap up now. Yeah. Ten minutes later, we're wrapping up. You know, fifteen just one minutes more later. point. Yeah, just six la points last later. Verse. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so. that, that just means somebody hasn't planned. Yeah, they haven't given it. They haven't respected. I've got. 150 people in each of our services, give or take. It's rounded to a half hour. That's 75 hours of work time. That's two weeks of productive work that I am either wasting or valuing. And if I haven't planned, I have just basically wasted two weeks of productive work time for people. Mm -hmm. That's unconscionable. Mm -hmm. It is unconscionable to step into the, into the pulpit and not be planned. Mm. That's what we're paid to do, mm -hmm. and and you, you got to do it. I mean, you got to respect the hours. Yeah.
I want to talk a little bit about some of the some of the more maybe pragmatic aspects of, of how you have your church structure this past Sabbath, you mentioned you don't have nominating committee. Right. So when you're looking at leadership development, um, you know, placing people, uh, you know, into ministry in your church, how do you go about that? And then kind of how have you, how have you set up your church and why did you make those decisions to structure your church the way you have? We've been through those great questions. Um, We've been through several different iterations of our um, of our structure. Still don't have it quite right, and I keep telling our leadership team, telling our people, whatever structure's got us to this point may not be the structure that takes us to the next level. So let's be looking, how can we do this better? And so we have we have changed multiple times, and I'll spare you the details on that. Right now, basically, we have a a finance team and a leadership team that are basically equal with each other. If a balance is going to be tipped, leadership team will have a slight bit more weight on it, um, but not much. They're, they're very respectful of each other. If, if, if leadership team sends something to finance team, says this is something we'd like to get behind, um, check out the finances. Finance say, you know, if leadership team is behind this, let's figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. And if finance team is making a recommendation to whatever leadership team is very respectful of that. So we work really hard to just have those teams be cooperative rather than um, a competitive in that regard. Um, the other thing we do with the leadership, with all of our teams, whether it's leadership, finance, or worship team, our pastor's team, um, we have all of those meetings at a meal. Um, it costs us hundreds of dollars. Uh, we take them out to a restaurant and have it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is just because of the camaraderie. And you don't get mad at somebody when you're sitting down and eating together as a family Mm -hmm. and so it's a group of friends sitting down together discussing things and so the the sweetness of the atmosphere they're fun meetings to go to people enjoy coming to leadership meeting because they're going to a nice restaurant they're they're it's getting paid for them and um and we just have a great great time with that so that's another thing um the other thing that we've done in leaders particularly in leadership um Boy, I just thought just just uh, escape slipped my mind there. What was I going to say? Because <laughs> you know, I started thinking, well, we're we doing it in finance team, and I thought, what am I talking about on that? Uh, oh, yeah, no, we don't. A lot of times with, with board meetings, it's like, okay, here you're representing the young adults, and you're representing the community service, and you're representing the old people, and you're representing this. And so when you get into meeting, you're like. Um, I've got to I've got to defend my group, and it becomes kind of contentious just because of the way we set it up. Mm-hmm. So nobody on our leadership team is representing any part of the church. Now we try to pick carefully so that we have young, old, Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, uh, men, women. We try to pick that balance, but nobody is assigned. You have to protect. Uh, particular. It's more here's the vision, here's the mission that we're going, and we're working together to do this for all aspects of the church, and we value your input because you're from this area, but you're not. Rep- so it takes out that tension and that um, antagonism. Mm. So our, our board meetings, leadership finance, is just, uh, they are so much fun. We laugh, we joke, we get a lot of stuff done, We, um, but it's just great. So those are some of the things that we do in that nominating committee 
I want to go before we, before yeah, we move okay. on to that. Yeah. So I know you have you have um, quite a few part time pastors, right? That, that right. fill in different roles. Yes. So are they all on leadership? And then so like they're like so if 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 you're you know if you're you know I don't know how you break up your children's divisions, but like you know if, if you're you know seven year olds want to do something. Or let's take high school, right? Because that's usually the one where you've yeah. got to have someone in there fighting for the youth, you know? So if, if the youth group wants to do something, um, what does that process look like then? If you don't have, you know, I mean, how do they get that to the board and out of the board and approved? If well, the youth pastor's like, on the board. Okay. So it just kind of, uh, so the pastoral, yeah, the pastoral um, committees are all the pastors, children's pastor, young adult pastor, uh, youth pastor, they're all on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have, uh, so we have the pastors on there, and then we've got six, seven uh, lay uh, church members on there. Mm-hmm. The chairman stays. It's a life sentence until he mm-hmm. mutually we decide, you know, he wants to take a break. Everybody else is on a three-year term, and so it staggers. Hmm. Why did you make that decision <clears throat> for the chair to be permanent? Oh, just for continuity. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating to have new board and you have to start up the the first two or three meetings is everybody getting to used to each other and then you have a summer break and this that and everything. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. you, you just lose continuity with change and so mm-hmm. the le- we can reduce the change change over then we have just more continuity and able to get more stuff done. So mm-hmm. we just worked on that. Okay, so so the nominating committee. So how, how do you okay, handle? Let's, how well, do you let's handle? go back to youth youth and okay. children's ministries for just a minute. I tell my youth pastor and the children's ministries pastor, like youth, let's use babe, it is unconscionable in my perspective for him to have to go do a car wash in order to do, to do ministry. You can just pull it towards you. Um, you know, I, I, to him, when I see youth pastors having to have their group go out and do a bake sale so that they can do ministry or to do a car wash so that they can do ministry, I says, that's just, that's unconscionable. Now, if you want to do a bake sale or a car wash for team building, great. It is my job to be their fundraiser. Mm-hmm. You tell me what you need. If you're my youth pastor, I'm going to pay you well. We pay more than any other youth pastors. Our youth pastors come back and says, you know, you're being very generous with me. I says, yes, I am, because mm-hmm. I want a quality person. I don't want a $12 an hour person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay you well. I'm going to resource you. You tell me what you need. You lay out your budget for this year. It is my job to make sure that you get mm-hmm. that money. So that you can go out and you do whatever you need to do. Children's ministries, you come and tell me, what is your plan for this year? What do you need to do? You don't have to raise that money. It is my job as senior pastor to make sure that you have the money. And so then I will go to the finance team and say, this is what we need. Here's what it is. Here's substantiation. So when it comes to youth Youth and children's ministries, I work with them really closely. I they view me as their chief resource person. They know that if they ask and make a reasonable request, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they have that money. We'll squeeze it out of somewhere to get it done. So there's a really good relationship. If they want to have something come in, they're delighted to come to me. Hmm. They're never afraid of can we do it because they know when they come to me. I'm going to be their biggest cheerleader because mm-hmm. I don't want to do their job. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I want them to do it. I want them to enjoy it. I want them to be excited. I want them to have the tools. So that's how youth and, and children's ministries and such happens around here is you tell me what it is. I'm your biggest cheerleader. I'm your fundraiser. Let's go for it. Have you trained giving in that? Because like I, I'm just thinking about a lot of churches where I've sat on the board and then you've got these people that are earmarking all their funds to kind of control how the money goes, which then 
constricts the church's ability to do what the church needs to do on the bigger picture because everyone's only putting money into this thing and earmarking and you can't use it for, you know, whatever. Like, you know, I was on a board of a church that had thousands of dollars in the Pathfinder fund and people still giving hundreds of dollars to the Pathfinder. There were no Pathfinders. Right. <laughs> and so there's like $7,000 sitting in Pathfinder funds right. and you can't use it for anything. And we have no, we have no Pathfinder age kids and we have no Pathfinder club. So, you know, it's just, it's building trust over the years, 14 years here. Um, we have, I think every year we have come under budget on expenses and the congregation knows that, that, that we, we will itemize it. You can take a look at what it is. And we get to the end of the year, we will have spent more than we said we were going to spend. Mm-hmm. And so people develop the trust with it. And we have a conservative expansion to the budget and people give to that. And it's just a matter of building trust and, and going with it. And, then letting people know, yeah, we're valuing our kids. Here's how much is going to the kids. Here's what the kids do. The, the pastors need to report. Part of what happens at every board meeting is every one of the pastors says, here's what we've done just recently. Here's been the response to it. Here's what we're planning to come next. And so the board can give feedback in regard to that direction in it, but they can also applaud them, cheer them on. They know what they're doing, and our board is excited to fund them. Mm-hmm. So it's just communication and constantly doing on that. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah, back to back Nominate to ministry committee. placement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what we're doing isn't ideal by stretch. But here are my two beefs with um, nominating committee. First beef with nominating committee is is really passive aggressive. If you're not doing a good job, I'll come and tell you you're not doing a good job. I just we just vote you out and put somebody <laughs> just, else in. Just suffer till nominating committee. Yeah. And so it's like. You know, that, that to me is a passive-aggressive, non-functional way to deal with things. The other thing is, I'm coming to you, I need somebody in the early teen department. I'm saying, hey, Wes, will you be the in the early teen department? You don't really need to do that much. It's kind of, you know, just there's a program all laid out for the kids, and, and you just need to kind of show up there and, and such, and we'll try and get some other help for you there, and you just need to be there once, you know, kind of and now I want a vibrant early teen department when mm-hmm. I have just totally undersold it to fill a spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, so those are the two things with, with nominee committee that I just, I, I don't, it doesn't work anywhere else in leadership or in organizational um, structures. It, we're just not going to do that here. Mm-hmm. So pretty much everybody's on a life sentence. Mm-hmm. You know, we will, you know, if if you're willing to be in early teens or whatever department, and um, and you're excited about that, you'll stay there. So my approach, I'd come to you and say, Wes, you've been attending here for a while. Uh, how do you want to be involved? What what are you passionate about? We don't have a nominating committee, so we're not going to have a spot trying to find somebody to fill it. Mm-hmm. You tell me what you're passionate about, and let's see if we can create a space for you to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And somebody says, well, you know, I, I, I kind of like children's ministry. Great. Let me put you in touch with our children's pastors. Mm-hmm. I kind of like techie stuff. Let me put you in touch with our sound engineer. You know, I really don't know, but, you know, I can, I can agree. Let me put you in touch with. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really what's happened. I've been fortunate that um, I actually have a bit of a budget where a new family comes in. Um, my wife and I sometimes will take them out to coffee or take them out to dinner and just sit down with them and say, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. 
How do you want to do? I have a retired pastor who does the study guys each week. And my wife and I are sitting down to dinner with him and said, you know, you're a retired pastor. What do you, you know, and we talked and he's, he talked about the study guys that he do. I said, you know what? I have a really hard time doing study guys. Would you be interested in doing study? I'd love to. Two, three years now. I give him a one sentence, my or, or title, hardly anything else about my sermon, maybe a scripture on it. And he puts these study guides out for me every week. And he's just had a conversation this morning about the upcoming one. Mm-hmm. He's, he's excited about it, just mm-hmm. so blessed. And he's been doing it for like two, three years. Not because I said, I need a study guide, let me find somebody to do a study guide, but because I talked to him and said, what are you passionate about? How do you? And he's doing the study guides, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, now, it, it it bogs down because I can't get to everybody, but I try to talk to every one of our pastors and head of departments and say, your job is recruitment. Part of your job is recruitment. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned when we were talking last Sabbath that you don't have elders, but you do have the pastor staff. So I guess, you know, when I, when I, when I think of an elder, like I, I, I take issue with our standard practice of eldership. Right partly because of the nominating committee process. Like, well, you've been here long enough. You now get to be an elder. Right. And usually they're right. a physician or somebody in the church yeah. with some money and some clout. And, yeah. Yeah. When it should be more of a pastoral type role. Right. So is that why you don't have elders or is there other, like you, you have your pastoral staff, so you don't need elders in that context or what was, you know, we just never got around to it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had a lot of structure. When we started, we had no structures at all. We actually went to Crosswalk Church down in Southern California and said, how do you guys do things and let's try and do it. And we, and we started developing things, and we just never got around to doing that. And, um, and so it's just there's never been a conscious decision not to have elders. Mm-hmm. We just haven't got around to it, and I really view my leadership team as elders. If, if uh, like when the conference asked, you know, who's your head elder? What's the head of our leadership chair is our head elder? Uh, who are our elders? Which our mm-hmm. leadership people are our elders, and so um, they're they're by default have that role. Uh, as I view an elder, it's someone who uh, safeguards the vision and mission of the church, make sure that we're scriptural, true to um, Christianity, true to scripture, true to the Adventist church, not because we're not going to, I mean, we'll, we'll bend and go around what we have to go around, what we don't feel is right, um, but still stay within the sisterhood because that's very valuable to us. And so that group helps provide that direction. So we don't have official elders unofficially yeah. that would be it well that almost makes more sense and I mean it, it seems like that you've kind of end around it a lot of the areas that do become points of contention if um, you know I can just think of a situation where you know someone doesn't someone thinks they should be the head elder now there's a vacancy in the head elder they're not asked to be a head elder and now they're upset because they didn't get the title right and so they stop even fulfilling the role right. of an elder because they didn't get the title that they wanted. What good is that? It'd be much better to have, you know, a culture where 
the work is done, the roles are filled, regardless of whether there's a title or we even have this is a right, you know, elder if people are fulfilling that spiritual leadership component. That almost seems in the same thing with the finances and how the structures run. It just makes sense to like, okay, let's what matters is that this stuff gets done, not that it gets done in this box with these lines right. on the budget and, and everything just because that's the way Jules tells us it has to be set up. Historically, I don't know about anywhere else, just say my experience, elders didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. They would, they would uh, an elder would give the announcement Sabbath morning and have a morning prayer. Yeah. And if you ask them to do anything else, oh, they're too busy. They're physicians. They're working mm-hmm. 60, 70 hours. And yes, they are. Well, then then the elder role isn't really for you right if it's going to be used as problem. i even had the church southern idaho that i divided the church i had five elders six elders whatever it was divided the group into five six people and every elder had an assigned a deacon with them and every elder was one elder was responsible for a, a fifth or a sixth of the church mm-hmm. but then also one was responsible for the education and one for young adults and one for outreach and one for you know whatever broke up in there Outline the whole thing presented. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Oh, yeah, like that. Not a thing was Nothing. done. Nothing. They did the announcements. They did the morning prayer. I can get a junior mm-hmm. high kid to do that. Yeah. Anybody can get up there and do that. So why keep doing that just because we need to have an elder have a totally dysfunctional thing? So, mm-hmm. anyway. yeah. Well, good. Well, I think we got uh, everywhere. Yeah. We wanted to go. You didn't even need your notes. I, I'm glad I wrote them down, though. Yeah. I think we covered. Let me just check see if there's anything else in here that. Uh... Yeah, that, I, that that we didn't get to. No, I think that's that's perfect. Um, you know, I really appreciate you know the insight into Summit and what you do and yeah. how you do it. So well, I yeah, like learning yeah, about that stuff. Here's the last thing on here. Okay. Well, not necessarily last, but just try not to be weird. <laughs> You know, too often we as churches, we, 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 we misunderstand the, the lost sheep thing. It's like, if this just reaches one person, Mm -hmm. it's worth it. Not if you've turned off a hundred people. Right. Right. Last year, they, in the conference here, they, big thing, they were going to give out 1 million glow tracks. (laughs) And if it could just reach one person. A million cards that end up in the garbage and in the trash and on people's windshields and littering here, there, and everything. How many people were turned off by this church group? And, 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 and for the sake of one, no, don't be weird. Yeah. You know, I went to ball game and came back and somebody stuck a religious tract in my windshield wiper. I'm a religious person. I was so turned off. I was ticked. And and I'm sure they're going like, if we just reach one, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that just turned off a bunch of people. So just try not to be weird and offend people. There's just, we do too many things for the sake of the one. Just think about the hundreds you're going to turn off. Mm. And that's some of what drives at Summit. Just, we, you know, we're just like, let's do things but let's be normal human beings about it and mm-hmm. be respectful of people so. yeah anyway all right final words of wisdom. yeah good place to wrap it up ron <laughs> thank you hey thank you wes and hey blessings on your new ministry that's thank exciting you. and the new baby yeah when's that uh two weeks two weeks yeah. very cool yeah. very cool i came across this this 
meme on Facebook the other day and it said sometimes the best evangelism is simply telling people that you're a Christian and then not being a complete jerk. And I think that Ron really kind of hit on that same thing with that statement right there at the end where he said, uh, try not to be weird and offend people. Um, you know, that's really what it comes down to is that, is that, uh, our, our example in ministry, our lives should be lived in a way that attracts people to, um, the hope that we've found. And we need to be cognizant of that, that we are presenting our faith in a way that is accessible for those who are not already at the same spiritual maturity level that we are. And I, I know that I struggle with trying to, to force people to uh, operate at my level of spirituality. Um, and I have to be really cognizant to uh, allow people to have those early spiritual experiences that I had um, to, to learn and to grow and to develop. And, uh, and that, that's all of our experience. We've all been there and we need to be willing to let others be there as well. And, uh, think about how we present ourselves and our God to the world around us. I really appreciated this, this conversation with Ron. I hope that it was beneficial for you too, and that you got something out of it. And I just really enjoyed it. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Ron for uh, sitting down. He was super open, super willing to just kind of pour into me and invest in me as I was beginning uh, to get ready for uh, pastoral ministry. So thank you for that. Um, It means a a whole lot, Ron. All right, guys, just a reminder, um, if you have any graphic design needs, you want to see Andrew over at 42design.co. He'll do some amazing work for you. And I want to ask... If you've been enjoying the show, if you like what you hear, you tune in every week, would you mind going over to iTunes? If you have just a minute, head over there, leave a rating, leave a review. Um, That really helps me out. Uh, So as people are scrolling through, as they see the show, have a little feedback from you, the listener, uh, letting them know why they should check the show out. It'd be a huge help to me, and I'd really appreciate it. Um, I'd think well of you for the rest of your life if you'll do that for me. So uh, next week, I have Paolo Messina on the show. Really excited to share this conversation with you. Hope you will uh, tune in next week. We'll see you then on the Let's Buy Podcast.